You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Stand with Candace Kelly. This show takes a look at social justice issues impacting society. Here's your host, Rowan University professor Candace Kelly. Today on Stand, I'm bringing you a frank conversation I had with two amazing women of color. They are attorneys, entrepreneurs, mothers, and friends. And with their permission, I recorded the call. Because what we know is that some people out there will never, on their own, get real insight about what it means to be a black woman in America. So we just wanted to give you a very small slice of our world. I think it was those confirmation hearings of Justice Katanji Brown Jackson that somewhat contextualize our experiences and everybody was listening. But there's so much more to the story. So if you're listening now, I told my guests, let it rip. On this call, Asato Chitu. She's an attorney by training, but she's also an educator and a social worker. Her recent very inspirational TED Talk, Born to Shine, sheds light on her concept of unpretzeling. I love this word, and you'll find out what it means. Also on the call, Jewel McGowan, an attorney and trusted legal and business advisor. She knows all about the corporate legal game and has been negotiating complex commercial matters for 10 years. She's also clerked in the New Jersey Supreme Court. So let, let me just open up the conversation by asking you what you have been thinking in regards to this amazing time in history where the Supreme Court Justice, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, I'm going to go ahead and say she is it. She went through confirmation er- hearings that were just grueling, but what did you learn or what did you think people learned about being a black woman in America, I'm going to start off with you, Asado. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people learn that it is super difficult for her, for black women to get to positions of high power, right? So even before this conversation, these confirmations, confirmation hearings occurred, we already saw how folks tried to discredit her, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I knew as a black woman, before even reading her, her pedigree, because I didn't have to read it. I already <laughs> knew she was fabulous. You knew it was going to be perfect. Knew, <laughs> exactly. I already knew she was exceptionally exceptional. <laughs> exceptional. Girl, that's the word exceptionally of the day. Exceptionally exceptional. exceptional. But I did know, without ever looking up her resume, that she struggled throughout her career by wearing locks. I knew that for certain. Mm. I knew somebody. I knew somebody touched her head and said, "How'd you do that?" Right? That <laughs> what I knew is that? It look, look, it looks different from yesterday. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That I knew for sure. Right, and you know, it's 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 a very small thing, but I mean, hair is one of those things that people will will judge you by. Jewel, I know that you um, were a clerk. Uh, with the New Jersey Supreme Court, I know you, uh, all of us have parallel lives with her and just with each other, whether you're in the law or not. Um, what are the, some of the the humps or even some of the joys, <laughs> can I say that, that you think she went through in order to get to where she was? Well, I'm going to start with this by saying that I'm not going to let anybody steal my joy to borrow from my brother, Cody Booker. Okay, that, that's what I'm taking away from these hearings. And I think 
to your initial question, what are people taking away? Different people are taking away different things. And I think for Black women, for Brown women, and hopefully for all women, we are inspired, we are revived, we are endeavoring even to work harder, right? And I think for me, and I think for any professional Black woman, like you said, we don't have to know her personally to know her story. But what we know without even looking at her resume, without even Googling her, is that she had to be exceptional. You know, her best friend, I think, introduced to her roommate. And one of the things that she pointed out was that this is a woman that has worked when no one was looking. And I think for women of color, particularly Black women, that's the magic. That's what we have to do. You know, we've been raised to think that we have to work, you know, twice as hard to get half as much. And unfortunately, it's true in every endeavor. But I'm so proud of her because I know without a shadow of a doubt, she is not only well-equipped, that we are, in fact, honored to have her sit on the Supreme Court. Not just as Black women, but just as a society. She's blessing us because she's just that good. And, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation, too, is because, you know, to open the door and see what our experiences are like just as Black women in America, to hear her talk, they learned about the core of her family, I mean, her her brothers, her uncles, her mom, dad, like the whole trajectory from, you know, the post-civil rights era, we got to learn it. And that's, that's a lot uh, like what a lot of our families have gone through. But I do want to throw it to both of you because both of you do not have, you know, roots originally here. Um, talk to me a little bit about, I mean, is there a difference? I mean, you're, you're from Guyana, right, Jewel? Yep, I am. And yep, the first generation. And then Sato, you're from Nigeria. Is 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 there Correct. a difference? Can you make a dis- from all of our experiences? And you know, I'm born in America. Are our experiences, you think, are they similar or are they different because of your roots in particular? I think there's. If you don't, Sato, you want to go? Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I it it for me. I will tell you, my upbringing it was pounded into my head that there was a distinction, right, between uh, myself as a Nigerian um, uh, child of immigrants not being born here in the U.S. um, in the terminology that my parents used quite often, which was Black American. Mm. Um, And so for, and so that was to create that separation. And and I I would say for a majority of my life, uh, I was provided with, maybe certain graces and allowances as a Nigerian versus being a black American. Like you look, um, Asaka went to boarding school. Let me just put that out there. Okay. <laughs> correct. Right. And big so, difference. And it, and, but it was not until I went to law school and I went to law school a little bit older than um, some of my, my classmates um, that I went to school with other black people. Right. And it was a very affirming experience. Um, and as I progress throughout my career and now being a woman, you know, over 40, and I can, I say that with pride, um, <laughs> that the distinction of being a Nigerian versus a black American that has gone away because has, as the world sees me is as a black woman. Mm. And I've had very distinct experiences where no one says, stop, wait, don't insult her. She's Nigerian, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that no. be nice? <laughs> <laughs> right? right? No, right. The, world does, the world doesn't see me as Nigerian or Guyanese or what have you. I'm black, 
right? And so that's actually been really eye-opening for me and had me forced me to sort of check myself and my privilege and what I've been carrying in my Nigerianness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but to bring it back to your original question, Candice, there certainly is a difference, I believe, in um, how I've experienced the world um, from childhood up until now. But the outcome is the world still sees me as a black woman without yep. distinction. Agreed yeah, with you. I, I agree. And this is like a very important topic for me because I was born in Guyana. I came here when I was nine. Grew up in Brooklyn, and in Brooklyn, for many immigrants, is just like an extension of their country. Okay, right? Brooklyn, uh, everything, I, the melting right. pot. I'm from Brooklyn too. <laughs> you know, East Flatbush. Exactly, East Flatbush. If you want to just hang around Nigerian people, you can. If you want to hang around Guyanese people, you can, right? And so exactly. I think for a lot of immigrants, right, especially for our parents coming to this country, they come with the idea that they're different, period, than all Americans, right? They're different from Black Americans. They're different from Americans because they're coming from outside. And in some ways, there is a disparagement that's applied to Black Americans that I really feel the need to push back. So for me, when you ask me what I am, I'm Black, Mm. right? And that's really important to me. Although the world might see me as Black, I see myself as Black. I see you as Black, whether or not your, your roots are from the U.S. or somewhere else. We are people of the diaspora. Right. Right. And I think that it's really important for black people to unite under blackness. And also you can acknowledge your culture. Right. Because to me, I'm Guyanese by culture. And even if and and race changes where you are. So in Guyana, I'm I'm Afro-Caribbean in Guyana. The the vast majority of people there are Indo-Guyanese. Right. And there's that there's a different racial dynamic there. There's a different racial dynamic of a woman that looks like me in Brazil versus in America because race is a social construct. Right. Right. And so, but I think it's important, especially right now, you know, we talk about reparations and there's this movement to sort of parse us out. Like, no, you're, you're an immigrant. My, my people can trace themselves back to slavery in America. Mm-hmm. I think it's dangerous because even if you look at the, 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 the data, the data shows that America is the great equalizer of black people mm. and America puts black people in your place regardless of where, which boat your ancestors left on, right? And, oh, or if they never left on a boat, if they just came on a plane, right? For Osada. <laughs> back to the continent directly, whereas for us who have been impacted by the slave trade, we, we don't have that, right? But like when you look at first-generation immigrants, you might see a difference in performance, but by the time you, have, you get to our children, they're doing the same, we're, we're impacted the same in terms of our educational achievement, mm-hmm. we're impacted of our health outcomes. And I think that's really important because it shows that it dispels the myth of sort of like immigrants are just coming and working hard and black Americans are not. And it says that there's something wrong with the systems at play here. And the outcomes that we're seeing for black people in this country is not because we don't work hard because each of us know how hard we work, right? Even mm-hmm. if you're working at McDonald's, I would argue that the person working at McDonald's is probably working harder than us. And they're seeing different outcomes. So I get real upset about that because for me, it's a, it's a tool to segregate. Right. And I just believe in the exceptionalness of all black people. Right. I, look, we don't mind uptight. You had statistics to support it and everything. You do, you came at it just like an attorney you are. <laughs> you know, because I think about <laughs> Oh, gosh. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking, when was the last time that someone said something to you? to remind you that you were black? 
Girl, every day. <laughs> do we have time, Candace, to go through the list? Asado, I'll start with you. Again, listen, Pete, listen, because people are listening and they, these are questions they can't ask. So I'm going to ask you, when was that, Osato? Girl, me and my child went Uh-oh. to the See, now listen, listen. You know when it's a child involved, is mama, here comes mama bear. Mama bear's coming. Go ahead, Honey. though. Where did Honey. Chicago, Osato? Where y'all went? We went to the Guggenheim, okay? Uh-oh. So we're on the line to purchase our ticket. This very excited woman who was white runs up to me and my child and says, oh, you don't have to stand in this line. You can go over there. That's for the people for LMS, uh, L, um, LTA. I said, what's that? Exactly, because you know I pulled out my phone. Because <laughs> you know it was some nonsense. So I look up LTA. LTA is a program for inner city children, <laughs> life through art, that, you know, they sponsor families to visit the museum for free Saturdays. So I'm looking at this, and it's for New York City kids. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, me and my child, my child barely knows the New York City subway, right? She thinks it's fun, right? Like <laughs> yeah, she, We know she doesn't know it if she thinks it's like all fun. <laughs> exactly. We rode the commuter train, right? From our little suburb in New Jersey to go to the Guggenheim. And this white woman was so sure we did not belong there because it was me and my black child at the Guggenheim. I needed to be in the free line, mm. right? Like, just just think about it. Just, just think about that for a second. That was just based on me being black at a museum. Right, st- standing with your mouth shut. Just, you didn't even standing say anything. With- <laughs> Not asking a question, <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Jewel, what about you? Um, you know, you have my blood pressure high, as always. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? You bring up you bring up such a good point because people will wonder about the health of 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 black people. And you, and you mentioned right there. Listen, my blood pressure is high. These are the type of microaggressions that will, will that will get you to another level, you know, and and, and closer to high blood pressure. And it, it's just it, it is it's a fact. Statistics, oh, you know, support it. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm joking, but I really am like, you know, I'm clenching my jaw. Right. And I, I realize that is something I do all day long when things like this happen, because you have to be composed in the world that we're living in. And even when you're composed, you're still viewed as being out of control. Right. And so, you know, <laughs> we've talked about this before and just, I'm, I'm just to borrow from sort of like another mother example. I was actually just talking to Osada about this, that my son got injured at school the other day mm-hmm. um, and the nurse called and she spent like the first five minutes, like laying the case out as to why it was his fault that he was hit by the swing. Mm. So it was like, hi, this is the nurse at so-and-so school. You know, he was playing in front. He was like, she was just like, and then at one point, I just stopped. I said, stop right there. Is he safe? Because could you imagine you're getting a call like from the nurse? Is he safe? Is my child safe? Right? And she's like, yeah, the blood stopped. He's okay. So my child was bleeding. Right. Mm. And you want to tell me all the reasons why it's his fault. And so then I said to her, I said, is this how these conversations normally go? If you had called another parent, would you have to start with assuring her that her child was safe 
right? Mm-hmm. Acknowledging that, just having a little compassion for the fact that he's a victim rather than telling me why he created the situation, mm. right? And that, and and that, that, that kind of bleeds into the way that they often treat young black males. Like, it's their yeah. fault mm-hmm. from, from the beginning. She it's said, their fault. And so she took great offense of me sort of like putting, asking her to pause and to reflect as to why she, but you know, and so like, and let, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that's how the conversation goes with every parent. I doubt it. Right. Let's say that, you know, she's having this conversation like with me, like just because she knows I'm a lawyer and she knows that his dad is a lawyer. So she's afraid of like liability. But I still have to wonder, is she just doing this because he's a black child? Mm-hmm. And he's right. like, for compassion there was like no compassion and that analysis that i have to do every single day in most of my interactions other than when i'm sitting here by myself in the house is what is exhausting Mm. about being a black person in this world and what actually has a physical mental emotional and i would even say cellular component to our existence Mm. Mm. absolutely absolutely you know and i've shared with both of you guys you know in addition to my law degree I have a master's in public health, and this was my focus of study, right? Um, looking at the impact of the social constructs on the health of Black women, right? And so the data is there. Mm. Um, you know, when, and when you do that comparative analysis between um, uh, similarly situated Black women and white women, and when I'm saying similarly situated, they have same level of income, same level of education, and you compare the, the maternal health outcomes of those black women to white women, their outcomes are similar to that of women in the developing world. Mm. So I'm talking about higher increases or rates of uh, um, maternal death and uh, child death, and it's uh, generally poor birth outcomes, higher rates of having cesarean sections. It's incredible. And the only thing that physicians, public health professionals, and social scientists have been able to attribute those outcomes to is the pressure Mm -hmm. of operating as a Black woman in America. That is insane. Mm. Our babies are literally dying. We are dying while we're pregnant because of that social construct. And and. So, and then think about what's happening when we're not pregnant, right? All the other right, exactly. We're, 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 we're out in the world. Here. At the Guggenheim, yeah, in time. line. <laughs> at, the Google, at the Guggenheim. Look at the smart. Like most mothers on the line there, you're already stressed about parking. You're stressed about, <laughs> is the child going to be hungry? I get there. Are we going to enjoy the exhibit? Well, and you can't, and so you already have like regular stress and you <laughs> ask that. And forget, like, even if we don't want to go as deep as the health issues, right? Which we should. Because my, my blood pressure is still a little high from the conversation. <laughs> Think about the time that now I just wasted. Because I have to do that whole analysis in my mind to parse out what's right. really on here. I could even really just focus on, like, is my child okay? I have to, like, now help this woman walk through why the conversation should be held differently. Now I have to take time to speak to the principal. Mm. Like, so I just yep. a good 20 minutes of my day that I could be being productive. Right. Like, instances where you just have to pick and choose your battles of what you're going to do. You know, I think it was Toni Morrison that said that the very function of racism mm. is to distract. Mm. You spend your time, they say you have no culture, you spend your time showing them you have culture. You have no yeah. language. And rather than doing what we are all here to do, because we're all on this individual spiritual journey, right? Yes. To do something with our gifts. 
I am now just trying to tell you why I just even deserve to be at the table. Right. Mm -hmm. You you spend your time fending off, fending off. Well, look, on the other side of this break, I have got to talk to Asato about pretzling. We want the world to know what this means, that I first heard about it in your TED Talks. And that's what we're going to do on the other side. So stay with us. We'll be back. You're going to be a fly on the wall. Continued. All right, we are back, and I'm talking with two amazing women of color who happen to be attorneys, and we're talking about the experience of being a black woman in America. Before we went to break, I spoke to you about pretzling asado. This was a term that I was first introduced to that that you came up with. Um, That is trademark, so if you're out there, you can't steal it. This concept of pretzling that I heard about in your TED Talk, what exactly is it? Because I just love the way you contextualized it. Well, it's... Pretzling means shaping yourself into a different form in order to please um, and accommodate and make yourself more palatable to other people. Um, And it's uh, particularly evident in how black women are trained to operate in this world, right? Um, Particularly, you know, women that are like you and I, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We have to bend and shape and turn ourselves into all of these things. Now explain explain to the audience what you mean, like women like the three of us. What do you mean by that? So professional black women, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and professional, and I would say the, the black women that I know should all be CEOs, right? Mm. But in order to, 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 to because we're, as Jules started the conversation, exceptionally exceptional. We have to be that way. But in order to be that, we often find ourselves twisting and shaping and bending ourselves to fit other people's mold because our true selves, our inner shine, the thing that makes us special, that special sauce, people oftentimes find offensive or they tell us it's too much or we've been trained and conditioned to think that's not good. Your blackness, whether your hair, your body, how you look, how you sound, where you're from, who your people are. Um, so we shape and bend and turn into other things. We pretzel mm. in order to fit the, you know, white America's norm yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. It is something that I, I think about a lot. Just how do I engage whatever audience I am and, you know, put on a different mask, so to speak, but I like the way you have it better. Your word better, just kind of been myself to, to, to please. I know that there, I've talked to you, you two about this before. And I want to ask this question. What is something that you wish people knew about black women? I know for me, that I wish people knew that the narrative that is generally assigned to blacks, black women in general, it it really is not a monolith all the time. In other words, there's some days where I have great happy days. I pick roses, go out, have a fantastic time. It's not always caught up in these stressors until it's presented to me. Like I could be having a great day and then I'm just completely thrown because somebody has come in, into my line at the Guggenheim, if you will. Um, but a lot, a lot of the stories and movies that we see, right, we got to use that's got that's going to be what I use from now on. But the movies that are out there, the trajectory of stories about you know civil rights and 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 the, the legacy of our parents is all rich and great. But guess what? Some days. I'm as happy as I can be, you know, and but it's not necessarily something that you see portrayed out on TV or in the movies. No, absolutely. And for me, 
what do you say? What do you wish people knew about black women? I don't, I don't really know. I don't care what you know. I care about what we know about ourselves. Mm. And we're so, that. Okay. Get the collection plate. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Silent pills <laughs> only, please. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, what we know about ourselves. And one of the things I don't, I'll say this because sometimes it's good to just hear it back, but I already know that we know this because I think we know ourselves really well. And that's why we survived. And that's why um, our sister could sit there with such poise and such excellence and do what needed to be done in a way that many could not, right? Um, as she is being examined. We are a great supporter of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we really rally with each other. And I think that we are our biggest cheerleaders. And I love that about us. And, you know, to this concept of wrestling, one thing I would add, and I think Asada definitely would agree with me, you've capitalized that experience so well. So thank you for putting language to our experience. Yes. That it's not just professional Black women that are wrestling. I think Black women are wrestling. And if you think about, you know, the woman that is going to get a, you know, like, maybe like you're going to be with some system. You're going to the school to be with your child and you're a single mom. And you don't check all the boxes that, you know, we have to get dressed up to be treated like a human, right? Mm-hmm. That was still sort of positioning herself and editing her speech and the way she presents just to get the basic respect for her and her child. So I think we see pretzeling all over because the reality is we live in a world that has told us we don't deserve to be treated with dignity and grace. Mm. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Listen, we have come to the end of the show, and I, I told you guys this during break. I know how it happens so quickly, but we're here. Um, tell me, what what do you good people do on any given day, like a day of the week? What 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 are you off to doing that is fabulous, or maybe actually everything you do is fabulous? So, what are you going to be doing next, ladies? Today, what's on your agenda? Well, tonight for me, and y'all don't laugh, so I actually have a meeting with USA Hockey at a hotel here in my town. I love that um, about, about your daughter. Their... She plays hockey. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So um, they're, they're really trying to um, uh, make hockey accessible to black and brown children, and I've just been incredibly dissatisfied with their strategy. It's not a strategy, right? It, it's the sort of same common language that people use around DEI. Um, it's just platitudes. So I've in-person meeting today um, with that um, group, and so we're going to talk through actionable, tangible items um, to get more children of color involved. If and I, playing this really fantastic sport. Right, right. Listen, listen. You the way you talk. Listen, if I if I if I'm going to be on anybody's side, it's got to be on your side. I don't want to go up against you tonight or any other any other time. Joel, what are you getting into today? What, well, I'm at I'm at three. I'm going to go pick up my little son, and so that's when like my biggest negotiations for the day start because he's my <laughs> adversary. Um, very well reasoned young man, and. On Thursdays and Wednesdays, he actually does some virtual tutoring with a young black girl, Miss Danny. Shout out to Miss Danny, all the way from the DC Public School. And uh, he doesn't get to see people that look like him a lot leading a classroom. And so it it serves two purposes it keeps him ahead, but it also helps him to see black women leading, as Mm. we always do. Absolutely. See, that's a classic immigrant right there. Like, he must be ahead. <laughs> right. Oh, he must be ahead. Oh, yeah. We we know we're, you we're, you and your parents bring it. Y'all going to be a doctor, a lawyer. Yeah. That's, I, think those are only two, I think those are the only two choices you had, Asato, wasn't it? Doctor or lawyer. <laughs> or engineer. Or no, engineer. You engineer. could be an engineer. 
Both, both. Let me tell you this. Also, before you go, so Dora got like 103 on a math test. So I told him, I was like, look, you are just a wonderful immigrant parent's dream. We don't have to ask you for the extra credit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just only A. You just got A. Where's your plus? Where are the extra points? My whole life, I thought I was a terrible student because of the way my dad reacted. And then I look back, I'm like, I was getting 95 and above. Where's your plus? Where's your plus? Oh, I so appreciate you two today being on stand. I just, Asato Chito, Jewel McGowan, thank you for your candor. Um, and just being on the show and sharing with people who may not really have the insight. We have to have you on again. I, really, time flew. Time literally flew. Uh, I know that wherever you go, you're always standing for something, even when you're standing in line at the Guggenheim. Ladies, thank you so much for being with us today. <laughs> Thanks, Candace. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to Stand with Candace Kelly. Please join us Saturday morning at 8.30 for another episode on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM and by searching for Rowan Radio on your favorite podcasting platform.